Welcome in to another edition of the Roost Podcast. We are pressing on with the Rice football season for one more week, but because there was more than Rice football happening in the world this past weekend, we decided to take it, take a pause, kind of take a bigger picture view of everything that's going on around Conference USA in particular, and who better to do that with than Eric Henry of Underdog Dynasty. So Carter is out this week. He'll be back next week to recap the finale. But for now, we have Eric stepping in 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 admirable fashion, if I may say so myself. Oh, man, Matt, you are too kind, but I appreciate it. You know, it's always a pleasure to hop on with you here at the Roost. Always enjoy the opportunity to talk shop, talk a little Conference USA football. And hell, the uh, the last time we were on, you know, uh, this was the, the current incarnation of Conference USA or the future incarnation of conference usa which is certainly uh shifted for the future you know uh, this uh in, in uh in what two years will we disappear will you no longer know me it, it, how, oh. how does this work is it like you know we'll, we'll we'll see each other in the club and it's like yeah, i don't know him like i used to know him but i don't know him i've been trying to like not think about that part because that's the <laughs> part like at, at every school's individual fans right are either excited or heartbroken or apathetic about everything going on in conference realignment, which is understandable. But like the relationships I have with you and other folks in Conference USA media and at Conference USA, like there are people that right. work at the league office that I very much so enjoy. Many of them, uh, that all going away is the uncomfortable mess in the midst of all of this. No, I, I couldn't agree with you. I mean, all jokes aside. Um, and maybe this is just so inside media nerdy type conversation here, but there are a lot of great people who, you know, I mean, you meet on the Conference USA, the the media beat, the media circuit, you know, I've met countless people over my five years covering the league. And of course, as you mentioned, the league office, a lot of great people there as well. So, you know, I'm sure at least you're into things, you know, this end over here, I'll still be here. <laughs> but uh, on your end of things, it certainly is, is going to be tough to, um, you know, you, you hope to catch them around the way. You put it that way. You want, I'm a glass half full guy, so you hopefully you can, you can catch them once or twice a year around the way. Yeah, and if, if nothing else, Rice is taking half of Conference USA with them. So True. the, the True. stretch that they just played, uh, I guess, uh, UTEP was actually the first team in the last four weeks that Rice played in conference play that will not be going with them to the new incarnation of the AAC. Because before that, it was Charlotte and UAB and, oh no, Western. I had already forgotten about Western. I'm just, I'm trying to blank parts of this season from my memory already. And it hasn't, it hasn't ended yet. If you want to know how things are going over you, in You and Houston. I both. You and I both. <laughs> this is true. I was, I was thinking about it as, as I was setting up things and, and lining up time to get you on the podcast. And, you know, if, if you would have told me going into the season, that that Rice and FIU um, had had underwhelmed. I would have been bummed, but I don't know if I would have been stunned. Like it was always in the range of outcomes that a, a, a lower end of the spectrum season was going to happen. And then at the same time, if you would have told me that we would have a conference championship game featuring UTSA or UAB from the West, and then Western Kentucky or Marshall from the East, I would have said. Okay, that makes sense. And, and all of those things have happened, but somehow this season feels bonkers. Like everything that should have happened. How, how, do, how do I reconcile that? <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I don't necessarily disagree with you in terms of the UTSA, UAB, Western Kentucky, Marshall aspect of it, right? I think we, last time I talked with you and even entering the year, this league was pretty top heavy, at least in my opinion, right? I think 
that was a general consensus. But I just think in terms of you've had a lot of wacky weeks, right? Where you have a look for example, UTSA got pushed, you know, the past few weeks. Now the UAB game was expected, right? But when they get pushed, you know, the other day and, and by, you know, Southern Miss and others, it's like, whoa, all right, where did that come from? And then the East, as someone who again covers FIU and spends the majority of my time covering covering the uh the East half of this league, that has just been no team has just been willing to step up and really take control of things. Even Western, you know, the really the most complete performance I think we saw was this past week against Florida Atlantic. And that's a team who just talent-wise, of them being FAU, for the better part of this year, I was convinced that they could just turn it on, right? And that's a dangerous game to play, Matt, right? Then you're trying to say, hey, just eventually we'll, our, we'll, our talent will catch up and we'll turn it on, right? And and we'll get a four or five game winning streak. That just didn't happen for the Owls. And so to think that they are now sit at five and six, and I think, excuse me, statistically, based on the, the win-loss record and who they lost to, I think they are sixth above FIU. So that is certainly a solace to <laughs> the Panther fans. Not say, ideal. Hey, you guys are laughing at our misery, but you, you know, you're, you're right above us and you know, just fighting for a bowl game. But yeah, even though the, the, the teams that were projected to come out seem to be holding their end of the bargain, I don't think you're wrong or erring in saying that it's been a wacky year. Yeah, so let's 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 kind of work our way up, and we'll start sure. uh, at the bottom, which uh, right now by the standings uh, is is FIU and, and your Panthers. And so we talked a little bit about it off the air, but what is the current employment status of the head coach at this university, and what is going on with FIU? Whether it be backdrops for media press conferences or oh, polos oh, worn on the sidelines, like. What is going to happen next week when FIU finishes its season with Butch Davis on the sideline? Okay. The only things that I know are, A, Butch Davis will be employed for another six days as an employee of, <laughs> uh, of FIU, a, a state employee, right? So we know he's not returning. You ask me what's going to happen afterwards, all I know is he's going to be gone. <laughs> I can't tell you anything that's going to happen in between because, quite frankly, I could have predicted half of the things. Did Okay, listen, Matt, when you look at the way FIU came in entering the year, right, coming off the 0-5 year in 2020 and the really disappointing end to 2019, and quite frankly, and I, this is something that I said even after the Miami win, it was a disappointing 2019 season when you have a James Morgan and Tierra Tart in you know, three, four guys who are on NFL rosters at this level, you shouldn't be six and seven, right? So it was disappointing 2019. So this is kind of been brewing for a while, right? And then you get those season opening win against Long Island. But from there, it's just been one loss after another. And seemingly the last four or five weeks, they aren't just losing. They're down 28, 35 points at halftime. You know, and that's where it just gets it's it's I, I put you like this as someone who covers this team i feel for the players i know that's the cliche media guy beat writer thing to say but you really do right i mean i'm there on the field post game when you the guys come off the field and you hear the chance of fcs or high school or you know whatever it is that they hear from uh they've heard from visiting fans this year right like none of that stuff is fun but it, listen bush davis has taken his approach he's taken his line in the sand i'm not putting words in his mouth butch has said that the administration fiu in his words he felt a sabotage the football program and when you say those things you are going to bring a little bit of a circus to town right now butch feels hey and i i can't 
I, I guess I'm walking a line here, Matt, because if I were to do the media guy thing, right, the journalism thing, I would need to give both sides. So I'll just say this, and I'll try to wrap it up quickly. I don't want to go 10 minutes on FIE, but he he never hinted at any of this in the three years that I've covered the team and in the four years that he's been here, right? So in that sense, you you have to have your spidey senses up and say, okay, like, why is he going scorched earth, scorched earth now? On the other end of things, when you find out that your contract isn't being renewed and you're the one who's led the team to their first, you know, three bowl game, three bowl game uh, consecutive streak for three straight years and the program record for wins in a year and nine and you feel entitled to another year, as Butch Davis has been very adamant since day one that this season started, that he felt he deserved another year. I guess I can understand in his regards saying, hey, I'm going to just expose the book and tell all these things. But it still is surprising to see, you know, a, a veteran coach like him. And, and the frustration has been palpable. He's made little comments like, hey, you know, when it's all said and done, you guys can read the book and I'll tell my story. Well, uh, if you're a book publisher, <laughs> I guess he's kind of told most of his story over the past four weeks. So uh, that's about it as far as the circuit. I mean, I, I can go longer on the backdrops <laughs> and whatnot, but I, I, I'll spare the, the audience. No, we'll get your book on this afterwards because right. it's it'll be a great coffee table book, Matt. It's well it's always at the tail ends, right? Like like right now I'm looking at the standings and there are five teams in, in Conference USA that are five and six and are gonna be playing for their bowl eligibility lives this coming weekend. But but the driving storylines aren't the five and six teams for the most part. It's the guys at the top and the guys at the bottom. Like Everybody else is trying to figure out how did Southern Miss just win a football game without a quarterback <laughs> with the Frank Gore Jr. effect. Like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And then UTSA, uh, man, 11 and 0. OK, but uh, scaling up, I want to get to those five and six teams that I mentioned, because I think coming into the season, uh, if you would have told me North Texas, Charlotte, Middle Tennessee, all those programs kind of hanging around the middle tier, that kind of makes sense. I don't think anybody was was expecting great things or, you know, the absolute floor out of those. The, the ones I want to kind of pull out, and you hit on it a little bit, I want to talk about Old Dominion, and I want to talk about Florida Atlantic. Uh, we can start, stay in Florida to start. Florida Atlantic was a team that I believe had the second most votes to win the East, and they have not looked like a team that was capable of that. So is it just us media folks chalking up to, man, I guess they have talent, so we'll roll with that, and just trusting Willie Taggart to figure it out? Or is is there some more, I don't want to say like dysfunction, but is there something else brewing under the surface that has kind of limited this team from being who they could be? Because I, I brought up Old Dominion, they, had, they gave up four two-point plays, or three yeah. two-point plays to Old Dominion in that game, a couple of safeties and a two-point return. Like, Something's in the water in Boca Raton. Am I crazy? Matt, here's what it is, in my opinion. It's a confluence of a couple things, right? So one, you have a new coach. And when that happens, inevitably, as you know, and all of us have covered, you know, football know, there's going to be change, right? Whether that's with the coaching staff or with the roster. That brings me to the second point. You have a lot of players on this current roster who quite frankly, were contributors under the previous staff with Lane Kiffin when they won two out of four Conference USA titles, two Conference titles in Lane Kiffin's four years, right? So that inevitably sets the expectation that, all right, 
they have a talented roster. Now, I think where it gets tricky is you have people around this area who are trying to make sense of FAU saying, were those guys just not as talented as we thought they were? Or are they getting lost in the shuffle? And quite frankly, if you're asking me, I think it's a combination of both. Let's start. You know this. Malcolm Davidson was a guy in 2019 who, when he came on, that was the year after Devin Singletary left once the NFL, it looked like he was going to be the next great running back. I mean, he was a stud the way he closed the year. I think he had something shy of 800 yards. I remember seeing him live against FIU run for, you know, buck 40 on 10 carries. Just looked like a, like a complete back. He's been a, a mystery, a man on a milk carton, and really since Willie Taggart's arrival, right? There have, he has not been a factor. You look at guys like Larry McCammon was a three-star recruit, one of the higher-rated recruits in FAU history in terms of the running back position. He's gotten lost in the shuffle. He's being used as a fullback. You look at guys like Amon Ross and Chase Lasseter, who even guys last year who saw a lot of playing time, not seeing as much playing time this year. So that's one aspect. Yeah, that's the second aspect you have to take into account. And then the third aspect is, quite frankly, this team has not adjusted well to Willie Taggart. And I think you see that, and I feel comfortable saying that, when you look at their starts to games. I don't have the exact number off the top of my head right now, but it's something like four or five games where even in their wins, even in their five wins, but a couple of the losses as well, they've scored something like, I think again, I think it's four or five times this year where they've scored under 10 points or 10 points or less in four or five games. Offensively, not getting off the good starts. That, that type of sluggish play. You saw what happened last week against Western Kentucky. They started slow, and you can't afford to do that against Bailey Zappi and Zach Kitley and company. Because before you look up, you know, you're going to be down 21 to 3, right? So that's really been a microcosm of their year. And I think it's going to be really interesting. I had a conversation with some FAU people who said, hey, you know, we'd like to win both games. But the worst case scenario is going 5 and 7 and missing a bowl. Because then you can say, Matt, it's clear regression from the Lane mm-hmm. Kiffin era. And that's what Willie Taggart's facing. Um, do you, or I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll let you transition to Old Dominion. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's 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 interesting. Of course, Lane Kiffin off doing what Lane Kiffin does, and he's going to be. I guess he might be back in Florida, right? <laughs> By the time we get to next season, <laughs> whether whether that's Miami or or I guess Dan Mullen is officially out at at, at Florida now. So who knows? Maybe maybe uh, Lane will be back. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I do want to talk a little bit about Old Dominion because this story. I don't Old Dominion that doesn't really have a a you know loud football fan base or a big footprint in the part of the country that cares about college football but won their first or won their first home game against Hampton and then proceeded to lose all of their other six first games against FBS opponents so they're sitting at one and six and everybody has written them off and then they go beat Louisiana Tech which at the time we weren't really sure how good or bad Louisiana Tech was. They'd had a couple bad, really bad, unfortunate bounces. And we're like, maybe they're just unlucky. Then they beat FIU, and that, you know, people weren't didn't really think FIU that was great. But then they go upset Florida Atlantic, and then they beat Middle Tennessee last week. And Old Dominion, the first year of football for head coach Ricky Ronnie after being hired during the COVID year, Old Dominion is now one win away against Charlotte, a, beat, a winnable game, from going to a bowl game, are they the most out of nowhere story in Conference USA that nobody's talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's a toss up between them and UTEP, right? And even UTEP 
if you ask minor fans, they'll say that, you know, we kind of had this brewing last year, but we kind of got snake bitten by a couple of COVID cancellations and, you know, whatnot. But in terms of ODU, I don't think very many people saw them being in bowl contention. I don't think very many people saw them winning more than two or three games. And here's what's scary. They have the one point loss to Buffalo, which is the heartbreaking loss that the reserve quarterback ran down there and wanted to celebrate and got called for, you know, excessive celebration and the, the PAT gets pushed back and Nick Rice misses it. They lose by one score to UTEP. They should have beaten Marshall. That Marshall game was very winnable. Those are three games right there that they lost by one score or less. And then you make the change from DJ Mack at quarterback to Hayden Wolf. And I think there's, I don't, you know, listen, hindsight's always 2020, right? And you can say, hey, maybe they should have done this sooner. I think you had to give DJ Mack the opportunity because if you look at what Ricky Ronnie's trying to do and you go back to his days as the offensive coordinator at Penn State, his offenses are typically more successful when you have a more mobile quarterback, and that's what DJ Mack is. But the thing that DJ Mack hasn't really developed is a consistent passing game, right? We saw a little bit of that in brief spurts in his time at UCF, but of course that was in the Mackenzie Melton era UCF where the talent around them was incredible right so Mm -hmm. i think you can see when you make that transition to hayden wolf the passing attack has really taken off and it's done the offense as a whole wonders blake watson over the past three weeks a former receiver turned running back the guy was a first team all conference receiver performer as a returner in 2019 he's the reserve running back thinking it's going to be elijah lala davis carrying the load at running back and he's turned on to again the last three games i think he's rushed for over 500 and 10 or 520 yards and trying to do the quick math here but almost a thousand yards on the year for a guy who no one had coming in being a thousand yard rusher and as you mentioned that this is a very winnable game against charlotte and it's a pivotal game quite frankly for both programs because if you ask me i think od used the one playing with house money and charlotte's the one who should be playing a little bit tight because they came out to a nice start to the year but then that run defense really you know has really been snake bit or, or is really bitten them behind and they've struggled to stop teams, and that's caused them from a team that was in near the top of the East to start the year or start to the um, you know the first four or five games to now fighting for their bowl lives. And I don't know. I mean, I'm curious what you think. Uh, not to you know <laughs> produce the, the show here on the fly, but what do you think about it? If Charlotte misses bowl for two straight years, that pretty much nukes any momentum that Will Healy had created in year one at Charlotte. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because Will Healy had that. Seth Luttrell glow about him two years ago. He was the the hot, young, up-and-coming G5 coach that was going to, you know, stick around for a year or two and then go on to bigger and better things. And then the COVID season for Charlotte, they might have been the program that was impacted to the greatest degree, not just in terms of games missed, but they're just, it, like, put them completely off kilter and they just haven't really recovered that swagger that club lit they had when they were when they go to the bahamas bowl right and and all the goodwill they earned from that first season they just haven't been able to pick it up and keep going and and that coincided because the 2020 season with that they had a lot of turnover on their roster and 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 you look at utsa who literally brought back everyone Charlotte brought down brought back a lot, but they lost some some key pieces and are going to continue losing those key pieces and and the the replacements, you know, as we talked to, uh, about the talent at at FAU and and some of these other programs. That next guy up 
has been learning on the fly and the results have not been good, especially on defense, especially in the front seven. And it's just been tough because I, I think you're right. Old Dominion, if they would have had the Southern Miss year, you know, Southern Miss is, is looking at maybe going, what, two and two and ten, three and nine this year. If Old Dominion would have had that, no one would have blinked an eye. They would have said, yeah, of course, everything going on like. You know, but but Charlotte, Charlotte was supposed to be last year was supposed to be another bowl game. This year was definitely supposed to be another bowl game. And so it's kind of like you've seen what the coach can do, but they're kind of not riding on fumes, not to that degree. But I think next season is going to have a lot of questions of if, if Charlotte can't get to a bowl game this year. You know, how much of that was one great season, everything coming together with some senior veteran leaders and how much of that is sustainable? I think there's a, a couple of programs in Conference USA. They're asking those questions. No doubt about it. And again, I'll try to keep it quick on Charlotte, but as someone who covers FIU, I can attest to that, right? It's a combination. This COVID year has done a lot to a lot of programs across the country, but in specificity, you talk about Charlotte and how that really set them back. They didn't have that rebound like UTEP's had this year and really kind of made the most of it and now are taking advantage of those chances. When you look at the senior leadership, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about that. Look at the senior leadership. It's not that, you know, at Charlotte, they didn't necessarily have talent. They had guys like Ben DeLuca and Alex Highsmith and Benny LeMay, right? Those are all guys, if you're a fan of Conference USA football, you know. Guys you who were gone. Guys who were gone. Guys who were gone. But you could make the argument, those are guys who were there in Will Healy's first year, but you can make the argument that they just weren't getting the most out of those players in the previous administration. But now, Will Healy inherits that, and a guy, and, and you know, is a beautiful guy with a burst of energy, and you get the most out of that. But then you have to sustain it. And that's why I said with FIU, it's a very similar thing where, where Butch Davis took a very senior laden team in 20, 2017 and 18 and had success. But it's hard to sustain those things, right? So to your point with Charlotte, I don't I, I hate the cliche must win, but I think this is a must win, not only for their, their bowl hopes, but again, everything that they're trying to build at Charlotte, right? Trying to carry some momentum into what should be the final year in Conference USA and heading to the American in a very, as you've talked about, college football crazy area there in North Carolina. And you're trying to make a name for yourself, trying to build an imprint against the Clemsons, the Carolinas, and others. and you got to you got to win games. There's no other way you can do it. You can. It's nice to be club lit, and it's nice that again. I don't want to demean what Will Healy's done there and call it gimmicky, right? Because I, 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 that's not the word I want to use. But you have to find ways to have your own headlines. And going five and seven, it's not going to get it done. I mean, not that six and six is great, but at least you're in a bowl game, and you can even as a recruiting tool, it's great to say, hey, I, we took the program to our their first bowl game. And two out of the past three years we've been to bowls, as opposed to two out of the last three we haven't. Yeah, absolutely. And and on the must win train, I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because if if we would have touched base, you know, a month and a half ago, or even a month ago, it would have been, you know, house money to bet that the the coach that would not be returning, you know, Butch Davis might have been in that conversation at FIU, but it would have been Seth Luttrell at North Texas. And just the way that season began, they beat Northwestern State and then they lose six in a row. And the, the headlines are already being written like they were like, why is this guy still here? I can't believe it. Then they beat Rice in overtime. They beat Southern Miss. 
They they pull off a win, upset UTEP in Denton, which I think was probably one that had folks curious because UTEP was still, you know, I think right behind UAB and UT, or UTSA in the standings at that point. And, and then they beat FIU, and now they get UTSA, ranked UTSA, off the biggest win in program history in Denton at 5-6. and six. You know, I Seth Luttrell has been gone for so long that I'm trying to, you know, imagine a world where he's not. But North Texas, the offense has kind of come alive and woken up. And obviously, they're not going to be the favorites against UTSA. But there's a world where if North Texas pulls up this upset, Seth Luttrell has to be back in Denton next year, right? Oh, most definitely. And I even said this to some of the North Texas people I talked with last week, I didn't necessarily think that it was a foregone conclusion that Seth Luttrell would be gone. Now, okay, don't get me wrong. If they continue that six-game losing streak into seven, eight, nine games, then maybe, you know, you start to get the hot seat, right? But I even thought that if you get the five wins, right, and really show some sign of progress, and listen, I don't think they're going to win this week against UTSA, so I do think they'll finish five and seven. I think that's enough to bring him back next year. And then if you want to start fresh, you can do that and use the fact that you're transitioning to the American as a selling point. But let's just talk about their season for a second, as you did, right? The six-game losing streak, you lose to SMU, UAB, Missouri, Marshall, Liberty. Those five, I think we thought coming into the year, were definitively better than North Texas. Seven-point loss against Louisiana Tech. I think that's the only loss on the schedule that you can say, oh, you probably should have won that. That, That's that's But even then... Oh, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, it's even then, like, you know, losing by a touchdown in a conference, like we said, that's top heavy. Neither Louisiana Tech or North Texas are at the top. Is not all that indefensible. No, I, I, sure. No, no, undoubtedly. I guess where I was going to kind of transition and finish up, and my point was it, with this, you look at the wins, they're over Rice, Southern Miss, UTEP, FIU. As you mentioned, the only real positive win there is against UTEP. But this is going to be my selling point, right? If I'm Seth Luttrell, and I'm going to put on you know, my Seth Luttrell face, which means I am really just the coach from Friday Night Lights. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't not take a cheap shot, right? I, I apologize, Seth Luttrell. But here's yes, the thing. No, yeah, I think it's quite good. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> so, Sorry. Hey, that, was, that, that was Matt who said that, all right? Right. Out of all the Conference USA coaches, Seth Luttrell is the one who looks like he could suit up right now. So I don't, I don't want true. the smoke. He also <laughs> gives the most generic coach speak pressers out of uh, any coach in Conference USA. Uh, 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 I, I, I guess the guy's only employed for, employed for another six more days, right? So we'll I, 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 I'd venture to say there's someone in South Florida could challenge him. But I digress. <laughs> here, here's, 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 here's the point, though, Matt, because I, I do want your, your thoughts on this, right? If I'm Seth Luttrell, here's my selling point. I've been trying to fix this defense for three years. Third defensive coordinator in third year. Doesn't matter was Troy Refritt or Clint Bowen. Now finally you get Phil Bennett. And, and it didn't look like things were going well during that six-game losing streak. But my selling point is going to be, we've got guys like the Murphy Twins, KD Davis coming back. And our defense finally looks like it's finding its stride. And I think we have an opportunity next year to really get in. I mean, Deshaun Gaddy, sorry, he's just another guy popping my head as a really talented player, sophomore safety. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a chance to really build on this in addition to a running game that anyone who's watched UNT football in the Mason Fine era, it certainly wasn't this. 
kind of wish he had DeAndre Torrey back for another year, but you know, we'll lose him or you'll, you'll lose him. But I, I think Seth Luttrell has a, has a pretty big bargaining chip, right? Don't you think, especially defensively, given how horrendous they were the past two years? I think so. And I think what's particularly interesting is just given the landscape of the conference as we know it, because UTSA and we'll, we'll kind of, you know, transition up to the top, the last four teams that we haven't really hit on yet. UTSA is 11 and 0, but they're, they're going to be re, no, I don't want to say rebuilding, but they're going to be losing. They have the most super seniors out of any team in Conference USA. And their defense is starting, I believe, 10 of 11 super seniors. They're going to be reloading at worst and rebuilding at best next year. They're not going to be as good as they are this year. Sorry, UTSA fans. Uh, they could still be very good. I think Jeff Trailer has earned the benefit of the doubt on that front. But UTSA is, is going to probably take a step back in the win column, at least. UAB is 7-4 and four right now, and they've, they're still very good. They're still a standard bearer in the West, but they no longer look like the, you know, untoppable giant anymore. So if you're North Texas and you're Seth Luttrell, you say, hey, look, we ended the season on a winning streak, and who in this league can we not beat if we can combine a decent defense with an offense that has a quarterback? And it took them a while to find that. So, I, you know, there's no Alabamas in this league like we talk about every year. But particularly next year in the West, I don't know. Like, I don't know who's – you'd pick UTSA and UAB to be the front runners again. But there's not really anybody that looks as – Far, far and ahead better than the rest than did this season. I think that line between UTSA and UAB was pretty clear. It's still going to be clear, but, and I'm not going to pick North Texas to win the West next year, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I, I think it's going to be a more interesting race. I think it's going to be a more interesting race. I'm intrigued to see the development of UT, of almost UTSA, of UTEP and Gavin Hardison. I was a little skittish on him. But I had, you know, a UTEP insider. Got to give a shout out to Steve Kalpus. Does a great job at ESPN El Paso out there. Mm -hmm. Say that the kid has a tremendous arm, strongest arm he's ever seen, right? And I, I think my thing was whether or not he would develop that consistency. And so necessarily haven't seen it this year because when you look at UTEP's lens, quite frankly, you know, five of them are against competition that <laughs> leave a lot to be desired, right? So I understand your point. I'd be interested to see how they develop. But with North Texas, and to kind of you know to put a cap on this, I think Austin Ani's done enough to earn that job. I mean, Jason Ruder came in and wasn't able to really do anything impressive. We'll see what another offseason can do. But I'm going to draw the distinction to a former Conference USA signal caller that didn't necessarily wow you with his traits, but just was you know that steady quarterback who did enough to win games and his team won a, a conference, a, excuse me, a division title under his guidance. And that's AJ Erdley. AJ mm -hmm. Early was at UAB. Wasn't going to wow you. Was just going to make the plays that are there. Austin Ani, surprisingly mobile. Not saying surprisingly mobile because he's 40, but surprisingly mobile because, you know, I just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, surprisingly mobile because I, I didn't realize that he had the kind of wheels on him. I saw... That's what happens when you play alongside Jason Bean. You know what? That's a really great point, right? When you play alongside Jason Bean, who's track fast, not football fast, but legit sprinter fast. Uh, it makes it look as if, you know, you're not quite mobile, but I had a chance to see him live this past week at FIU. And he can move. So I think if you have someone who can extend plays with his legs, pick up first downs here or there and make the throws needed, Austin, I think he can do that guy. 
yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I and, and we have a whole off season to talk about that. So let, let's focus. Let's focus on the the task at hand. We'll close things out. I do want to hit UTSA and UAB. We'll stay with the West, and then we'll we'll close it out with your, your folks in the East. So uh, the game of the year that we had circled in our calendars before the season started lived up to the hype. It never that never happens. Like we always build it up to be all oh, this is going to be so great, and then it's a dud. But you you had everything that you could ask for as a sports fan and UAB and UTSA and UAB for those who have not watched this decides not to go for it on fourth and what are we going to call it four hairs five hairs six hairs you know maybe a golf ball it it was it looks so close they punt it to UTSA who drives the length of the field and Frank Harris hits Oscar Cardenas on the final play of regulation to win the game thrilling and crazy and you know can we is destiny like i know it's it is kind of like momentum it doesn't exist until it does but kind of there was nothing stopping utsa like when they got the football everyone in the alamo dome and watching knew that they had to go down and score right like that's just how the season ends it's cliche and you don't like to use the destiny thing but i think after you become 11 and 0 you reach 11 and 0 and in this fashion because, listen, they were going to have some games like this, right? You know, they had one earlier in the year against Western Kentucky. That was the shootout. But for the most part, their games, they've pretty much done a, a pretty reasonable job of putting teams away and really showing, you know, asserting their dominance. But you're going to have games like this. If you're trying to go undefeated. They aren't all going to be two, three-score wins. And this was just a matter of a team that clearly is believing in themselves. They're not learning how to win. They know how to win. Because when you look at the, the UAB and UTSA in terms of recent history, the team that's competed for the West Division title has won conference titles. It's on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are like, hey, we've been here before. We can make it happen. They got to beat us. And as I said in a recent piece, you know, highly recommended Underdog Dynasty, three things to learn about Conference USA. I highly recommend that piece. Um, you, in order to be the man, you got to beat the man. That was the feeling coming out of UTSA. And they managed to do that. So I don't think the destiny thing is far off. I mean, even when you look at the game, right? What did Sincere McCormick have? 65 yards, 60, 65 yards on, on you know, 20-something carries. It, it wasn't even the fact that, you know, they just handed Sincere McCormick and carried him. It was Frank Harris making plays. It was, you know, the defense made plays when they needed to, right? I just think, in my mind, that is that cliche, you know, again, I use cliche in air quotes, but team of destiny. And it, like I said, you're going to have wins like this. And this just goes to show that Jeff Trailer, I mean, he's got those guys believing. And I, I don't think anything's going to stop him at this point. I mean, the only thing, and, you know, maybe we can come back and talk about this in a couple of weeks if the uh, availability is there, that Western Kentucky game really was a showdown. And now you're catching Western Kentucky hitting their stride, playing phenomenal football. I'm looking forward to seeing that rematch. We're not quite there yet. They got to beat Marshall. But I'm looking forward to uh, to that rematch. Yeah, that would be fun. And then, and while we're on UTSA, last thing that we have to hit on, Jeff Trailer yeah. is going to be in San Antonio, allegedly, for 10 more years after this. So, you know, and, and not that the Destiny comment was not a, a, hey, a fluke, they got lucky. Like UTSA earned that game. And Jeff Trailer has, has earned his stripes as a college football coach. Uh, he signs a $2.8 million extension annually over 10 years and kind of, wards off texas tech and and decides to stick around san antonio and you know we just talked about north texas and we talked about seth latrell and even at this point if he's able to win or you know get close 
against Charlotte this weekend. I think most people would have thought that and still think that Seth Luttrell probably should have taken the Kansas State job when he had the chance and cashed out while everything was working well. You know, maybe he rebounds and fixes North Texas and gets them back going. But that was a maybe a lull that career wise might not have been best for him in the long run. So Jeff Trailer has his suitors this year. You know, Texas Tech, maybe TCU could have come calling and, you know, basically asked, I'm just give me a reason to stay. And he does. So he's going to be there for 10 years. Where did UTSA find this money? How many couch cushion cushions did they look under? And, you know, if Trailer can keep this going, can, you know, can they become what every, you know, G5 program aspires to be? You know, UAB is kind of the gold standard in, in the West right now, but a program that kind of wants to be good and builds themselves up to be good. And that's not saying they're going to win the division every year, but UTSA was an afterthought. And with Trailer, can they be the kind of people that the Louisiana Tech Plus, the, you know, seven, eight, nine wins a year as opposed to six or seven? That Okay, so you kind of threw me for a loop there with the Louisiana Tech Plus, right? And then, listen, I don't want to throw any shade to the folks at Ruston. I just don't necessarily know that I think cream of the crop in G5, I would use La Tech as an example. Not to say, not to say that, that they're not a My point was the middle ground between what Louisiana Tech has been and what UAB has right, been. Got you. Okay. I feel, okay. Like, I feel okay. like being a UAB is too much to ask, like even okay. if everything was right. But got can you. you be that next tier, you know? That, that can win 8-9 consistently and be that in contention? Okay, now I'm, I'm fully comprehending. I'm fully with you. I don't see any reason why they can't. And I was going to say, first off, when you talk about where they found the money, anyone who follows my work at Underdog Dynasty knows I'm a huge fan of UTSA's athletic director, Lisa Compost. I think she is everything that you would want in an athletic director in terms of someone who is a visible face, someone who is not afraid to be the face of doing media and interacting with fans. And clearly she's done a phenomenal job since she's been there, since she arrived, in terms of getting the rise facility built, or the rise was the race facility built, um, uh, the, the, you know, the facility there for student athletes. That was a huge selling point because Jeff Trailer made it clear that the facilities at UTSA prior, they just weren't up to snuff. You know, they, they were, they, he says, I think he jokingly said, now we're on par with some of the elite Texas high schools, right? Something I'm sure you can, uh, you can appreciate, but that's going to be a huge bargaining point. <laughs> that's going to be a huge bargaining chip when you talk about your, your second question, which is, can they be that perennial team that's going to win eight, nine games each year? I don't see why not. I think they have a great coach. I think they have a great environment in the Alamo Dome that can show, that shows that when you put fans in there, it gets pretty rocking. It's a great environment. Now they have the facilities. Now they just got to go win games. I don't see any reason why they can't. I mean, I don't think anyone's expecting them to be a Boise State type that wins 10, 11 games each year as in the top 25. But, and, and please feel free as someone who lives in Texas, you know, call me if I'm wrong or if I'm out of bounds here. But when UTSA started football, when they had some early success under Larry Coker, this is what we kind of saw, right? I mean, maybe not necessarily being undefeated in top 20, top 25 in the nation. But a team in a major market in San Antonio that should be able to recruit well and attract talent from across the state of Texas and, and elsewhere and compete. I mean, am I am I off base in that? No, you're not. And I think, it, you know, as a fan, people probably don't want to hear this, but it comes down to money in college athletics more than you probably want it to. And 
that's been what's holding UTSA back. Like the race facility, uh, like has received glowing reviews and, you know, it, it was so needed and, and UTSA, you know, alumni and supporters will, will tell you that just the, the, the funding that has gone into this athletic program, into the, into this football team has been kind of something that is, is not helped them advance to where they want to be. If you look at the, you know, the, the, you want to scale, college football in Texas up all the way to the top, look at Texas A&M right now. They decided, you know what? We're just going to pump billions into this football team. We're going to build a billion-dollar stadium. We're going to hire the best coach we possibly can, and we're going to build, you know, smoothie machines in the locker room and whatever else we need. And lo and behold, I'm, you know, <laughs> Texas A&M has been a top 10, 15 team under Jimbo Fisher after being fringe under the previous coach and it, it kind of it does scale downward to the g5 level if if you're you know you know pulling pennies and you know we can talk about fiu and and the <laughs> the investment in the program and what that does a lot of times you can tie dollars to success in college football and the investments that utsa is making right now in their facilities and in their head coach those those make a difference and I think that's going to be if UTSA can take that next step, it's because they've shown with their pocketbook that they're committed. And I think that matters. I don't know. I mean, listen, maybe as someone who works in this whole sphere, right, maybe I'm jaded. But I would hope that more people out there understand. Listen, no one's saying that the winners and losers on the field are determined by money, right? We're not no. saying that. But if you don't think that the viability of your program long term is contingent upon money and willingness to invest it, it ain't just about being a rah-rah guy and going out there you, you can find a million of those it's going to come down to pocket books and whether donors or alumni or maybe are willing to come up off their chain and invest it, it's simple as that yeah absolutely and utsa right now doing all the right things keep that up do that for a couple more years and then we can start talking about building that to where they want to be. Uh, last thing on the West, we do have to hit UAB, and this can be short and sweet. Uh, UAB is not going anywhere, right? As long as Bill Clark is there, and even then, we'll see without him, but this is going to be a team that's going to be top two in the West every year for the next foreseeable future. We, I'll make it short and sweet. You just talked about money. They've invested. You saw Progressive Stadium. You saw their practice facility. And yeah, it took them losing the program to do so, but now they found the money. They're not going anywhere. No, no concerns with UAB whatsoever. So we move on. We move over to the East, and I want to talk about – I want to close on Mar, uh, on Western Kentucky. We'll talk about Marshall first. This was a team that was kind of picked to win the East. I think they had the most votes in the preseason media, media poll to win the East. I did not vote for them. I was concerned that with a first-year head coach as high and touted as he was – that there would be some growing pains. And there has been some growing pains. You look at the East Carolina game and the App State game, uh, and even they lost to Middle Tennessee. I still cannot believe they lost to Middle Tennessee. But they started 2-3, and three, but at that point, you mentioned the Old Dominion game earlier that they probably should have lost, but they won in overtime. This team has kind of started picking up an identity, and I kind of I know what to expect when Marshall takes the field now. And I think that whatever you mentioned with FAU, you know, eventually the talent will get us there. We'll get all the pieces in place and it's just going to click. 
I think it's clicked for Marshall, which is why I think the game against Western Kentucky this weekend is a lot more interesting than maybe I thought it would have been three or four weeks ago. Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about identity, right? Like, this is something that we can't, 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 can't. I want to emphasize it, underscore enough. It takes time if you're a program, if you're a head coach, to kind of get your style. And I'm not whether that style of play, but also the way you want to do things, right? The mentality. The, it, Charles Huff, you've been on the call media day. You had a chance to hear him. He is. It is no surprise that he's from the Nick Saban coaching tree, right? He has a very definitive did, way. Did he say play. rat poison during media? He said, days? I feel he like said he rat did. poison. He said rat yeah. poison on the media day call, and then said it again. Uh, you know, when they uh, had the two game winning streak to open the year that we're trying to deflect against the, the rat poison, right? So he has a way of things, and, and I had a chance to talk to him after the FIU game. You know, he has a, a way of doing things that he is trying to implement, and even when you look at the losses, again. All winnable games. They lost to App State by one. They very much were in that game. The Middle Tennessee State game was definitely a disappointing one. And the ECU game was one that, again, they were in, but at this point lost, lose by four. But now they've really picked up the winning streak. You, lose, you win five out of the last six, the UAB loss. Again, I don't want to say that's disappointing because UAB is certainly a tough team. But I just think with Charles Huff, it truly is onward and upward. And I really hope that Marshall, this is just my opinion, right? I mean, I, I don't have any skin in the game. But I truly hope that Marshall fans are patient because they can look at the eight and four, seven and four now. If they win against Western, it'll be eight and four and competing for uh, a CUSA title again. They can look at it and say, hey, this is where we were under Doc Holiday, right? But things feel different with Charles Huff. And that could just be, you know, maybe a figment of my imagination. But I'm curious your thoughts. Things to me feel as if, like, okay, we have a true identity as opposed to, you know, we just were kind of floating along under Doc, and I wasn't a Doc basher. You know, I, I I thought there was level of consistency there that you can't be mad at. But if you are able to finish the job and, again, get the eight wins and you're playing for a CSA title game, it just feels to me like your trajectory this time is higher than it was before. Well, I think the thing with Doc, and I wasn't a Doc hater either, but what what hasn't happened yet, and, and maybe we'll see, he's, he's got to finish the job, but what hasn't ha- happened yet under the the new regime in Marshall, once they've started going, they haven't lost a game that they were supposed to win. And, and you know, Doc had a little bit of the Skip Holtz these thing going where the reason that Marshall never really played for as many conference championships as they should have is they just found a way to be one game back in the standings every year. Uh, you look at last year, they were beat by Rice. Uh, they were shut out by Rice at their home stadium the first time that had happened in that stadium uh, going back decades. That shouldn't have happened for their team. You go back to 2019, they lost to Charlotte. Will Healy, I know he's the, you know, the upstart young guy, but that was a game that, sh- that Marshall should have won. And that, that's been the problem for Marshall is you can handle, you know, just not being quite at that tier. You know, if, if you're, if you are UAB and you lose to UTSA this year, you're like, man, that's really frustrating. I don't like losing. It stinks that we're not playing in the title game, but you don't get upset about that (laughs) like really like you're like it just didn't go our way that day like that's that was holiday's problem is that he would just there would just be those games where just marshall wasn't in it at the end of the year because they'd lost games that they shouldn't have lost and and that's what huff has done so far you know even the uib game they they had chances to win that football game so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting what happens against western kentucky is gonna play into that narrative and how we view him going into the offseason and you know he's got to do it 
more than one year. We've mentioned Healy. We mentioned Latrell. Lots of coaches in this league have had one good season. Let's see if he can do it again. I'm not, I'm not making direct comparisons, but I, I'm, I want to see it on the field. And, and on the field, Western Kentucky, we, we're going to have to see, man. It's interesting. I, I was the, the lone proponent of Western Kentucky in the preseason. I picked them to win the East and just was going to chance that Bailey Zappi was as good as advertised. And they still have to beat Marshall, but I think Bailey Zappi is as good as advertised. Is this the best? No, let's ask a different question. What other quarterbacks have you seen in Conference USA that have played at this level? Well, hey, you had a front row seat to Bailey Zappi there, right? So, I mean, maybe you had a little bit more intel than the Just rest of the down the road. <laughs> right? It's like, hey, Mike Bloomgren, you could have you found a made way to make it happen. No. Um, listen, in, in terms of quarterbacks conference USA, in my four years, the only real standard is Mason Fine or Chris Robison circa 2019. Remember, sure, correct? Yeah, 19 was the last year that Chris Robinson was uh, at FAU. Those are the only quarterbacks in my mind, in terms of this conference, that I can say I've seen play at his level. And the thing about it is there's nothing gimmicky about Bailey Zappi. I can't emphasize this enough. I had a chance to see him live when they came and played FIU. Yes, the offense is air raid. And anyone who knows football knows that with the air raid, there are a certain amount of predetermined throws, right? You have your reads, and there are things that are set up to move the ball in a certain way. But he makes all the throws. He makes all of the throws. I'm telling, I, I you know, got in a debate with a, another person from the Conference USA sphere who said that, yeah, you know, call me when this time next year when he's cut by the Falcons and he's, you know, Graham Harrell. I'm like, all right, that's just, you know, you being salty because your team lost to Western <laughs> Kentucky, right? Like, here's the deal. In my mind, he's very much, if I were given an NFL comp, he's more of a Case Keenum guy, someone who can play in the NFL, someone who will stick around for a long time. And the only reason I'm making that NFL comp is that I just want to emphasize he is that level of talent. This isn't, you know, we're going to throw the ball 75 times and rack up 6,000 yards. He's the one making this thing work. So kudos to Tyson Helton for going out and getting Zach Kitley and choosing to do this in my mind when I said day one, when Bailey Zappi got there, if you're going to do it, do it the right way. You know, have the offensive coordinator, have the quarterback, bring his receivers. Jarrett Stearns is a guy who I don't think we talk about enough about because, you know, he's having a heck of a year um, and along with the other uh, Western, see, obviously Western Baptist, Houston Baptist receivers <laughs> who went to Western Kentucky, right? Western Baptist made up a new program there. So, yeah, I mean, nothing gimmicky about that. Bailey Zappi's the real deal and, you know, give a little prediction here. I, I expect them to finish the job off and beat Marshall and we'll be sitting tight for a a rematch UTSA, and this time they'll be back in the Alamo Dome as opposed to Hutchins Smith Stadium, and it should be exciting. Yeah, and, and Mason Fine was immediately where my, my mind went. Mason Fine's best best year as a passer in 2018, 27 touchdowns, five interceptions, 3,793 yards. That's a really, really, really good uh, quarterback play. But, but Zappi... <laughs> Zappy's on a different level. I can't keep up with him. He so far this year, he's at 4,640 yards, 48 touchdowns. He's going to double Mason Fine's touchdowns in his most prolific season at North Texas. Again, running the air raid. <laughs> not not exactly the same, but pretty close. I, I think he, the only other Mike White, old Western Kentucky quarterback, 
he he had a, a good run, and that was right when the Hilltoppers, I think, were getting into Conference USA. Uh, but he had a he went thirty seven and three in his first year uh, touchdown interceptions. But he, that's that's going back to twenty sixteen. So you got to go back a little bit. We could be, you know, you want to talk about one hit wonders. This might be one of the better one hit wonders in Conference USA. Uh, for some time. Yeah, I'm excited for Western. I, I do hope we see a rematch in the Alamo Dome between these two teams. And shoot, it's going to be fun. We won't be bored. That, you know, and that's from the highs of the lows, Conference USA. That has kind of been the refrain this year, right? We won't be bored. Um, listen, it, it, one thing I can say about the one in 10 team that I cover, they haven't been boring this year. I'll tell you that much. It's <laughs> and I don't think the next six days will be boring, but yeah, couldn't agree with you more. We're on the top of the bottom. It hasn't been a boring year, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And I say the same thing. We haven't we haven't touched much on on Rice yet. We will, I guess, we'll we'll footnote them on the way out since this is a sure. Rice podcast. But that's been the same thing. <laughs> uh, if Rice is sitting at, at three and eight this year, they have not been boring. Uh, had a halftime lead this weekend against UTEP in the desert, weren't able to hold on that. They have now lost a starting quarterback to an injury that forced him to miss the remaining remainder of the game four times this year. They've played 11 games. <laughs> I the, the quarterback curse has been something else. But from an outside perspective, you know, what had kind of been your big picture thoughts about Rice? Because they were on that trajectory that this was supposed to be the year where they put things together and they're they're not going to a bowl this year everybody in houston is disappointed about that but give me you know good or bad yay or nay like what's kind of your view of of what has transpired uh this season and and how much frustration is is appropriate (laughs) given the situation listen i think rice fans have more than enough reason to be frustrated and i started saying this before you know when they were really having anemic offensive output, specifically in the passing game before Jay Constantine came in and you know at least showing signs of being an efficient passer. This is the thing that I am never going to come on a podcast or a radio show or write anything that's trying to fire a coach. That's just not my style. But the thing that I think Rice fans have to be most frustrated by, and again, I would certainly want your opinion on this, is it doesn't feel as if the program, in my mind, is much further along, if at if at all any further along, than they were at the beginning of Mike Bloomberg's tenure. I mean, sure, you know, it's not quite, you know, David Bailiff, but the the issues that were plaguing you in year one are still plaguing you now. This still doing this quarterback rotation thing, or I shouldn't say rotation, but carousel, we are trying to find that guy, and it's always a grad transfer, and it's not anyone who's developed. And I've seen at FIU how that can happen when you try to keep bringing quarterbacks from the outside and you're not hitting on guys who you're trying to recruit from the high school ranks. The running game, I mean, something that you thought was going to be a strength of this team, Kalen Griffin, you know, he's kind of been a guy who was highly touted when he came out and I haven't seen much of him. It's been, you know, hey, can you know, you can get a little bit of guys here and guys there. And it's it just, in my mind, it's Again, it, it shouldn't take, you know, a four-touchdown performance from a pseudo-tight end, H-back, running back to put your team in position to have any sort of offensive output, right? So in my mind, I think that's got to be the biggest frustration. But I am generally curious. If I'm being too hard, let me know. But no, I, 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 I don't think it should be a Jordan Myers four-touchdown game that produces your offense. No, I think the frustration 
for, for me and from my perspective, I'm the same way. I'm not going to go champion and get anybody fired. That's just not a productive conversation. But I think it's interesting because the problems going into this season for Rice, the question was, can they fix the offense? Because it just hadn't worked in his first three seasons. And, you know, it hasn't been perfect because they've gone through quarterbacks, not by their choice, like by injury. They've lost several guys. But still, Rice has now put up 20 points or more in five straight games for the first time under Bloomgren. Uh, You know, 20 might not be that great of a threshold. But when you look at a defense that was a top 15 defense in the country last year, 20 points should be enough. And that's that's the head scratching part for for me with this team that that I don't understand because we wanted the offense to be better. And it has. It's been enough. But late in games and you look at the games they lost against North Texas and Charlotte in overtime, uh, you look at the 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 UTEP game. It's been a, a leaky secondary that has been hurt and banged up, but they were banged up last year. That's kind of cost this team games. And that's been the confusing part. So like, if you want to, if you want to go look at the, you know, the, the bottom line, go look at the, the red ink and say, you know, you, you, you're not, you haven't won enough. Like that's true. Like you can't argue like the, the expectation was a bowl game and they're not there, but also at the same time, like I, I I struggle with what fair improvement was because we wanted the offense to be better, uh, and it is. I don't know what is keeping the defense there, and I just I want to see a year with a quarterback. And they have played carousel under Bloomgren in the past, but this year it's been it's been Jake Constantine when he's been healthy. He missed the first several weeks of the season with injury, and when he's been at the at the helm. Rice has won the majority of their games with him at quarterback. And he played well against North Texas. He played well against Charlotte. Western Kentucky was really the only game where he just didn't have it. But frankly, nobody on the offense had it other than Jake Bailey in that game. So it's confusing, man. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I guess the bottom line right now is they're, they're three and eight. <laughs> you are what your record says you are and, and, and whatnot. So it's frustrating. I think a lot of that is fair and you can't really argue, but. I, I struggle with because I, I look at, you know, just to draw a parallel across the division, I look at where FIU is. And, you know, even before the Butch Davis fiasco of a couple weeks ago and how that's like, like there was just like, from my perspective, they didn't be look to be much reason to be like, no, this is why they're going to turn it around. Like Devontae Price can't touch the ball 1000 times. But it, with with Rice, I'm just like. There have been enough key plays here and there that either have been, you know, mistakes by the coaching staff or by a player that like you take two overtime games and you flip a coin and Rice is sitting at five wins right this year. <laughs> you you re- remove two games against Texas and Arkansas and you put one other, one other winnable game in there. You know, this this could be a bowl, a bowl game with not much a bowl team with not much happening different. So that's where I struggle. So, yeah, they haven't met the mark. That's true. Uh, could they have? with, you know, not great miracle work, I don't know. <laughs> and that's kind of been my feeling on Rice football this year. I just don't know. I'll kind of give, you know, my closing thoughts with this. Yeah. I think everything you said there is fair, Matt. It is. It truly is. But those are points that you can make in year one, year two, year three, maybe. Yes, we look at, right, COVID, 
a lot of things happen. But it just feels as if it don't they feel a little more uh, like <laughs> coulda, woulda, shoulda, and they lack any. And I don't want to say lack validity, but it's just I'm trying to avoid using the word excuse. But it feels that way when you're this far ahead in the tenure as opposed to year two. That's just my mind. And I, again, I could be being difficult. If, if Rice, if Rice were losing shootouts 52, 55, I'd probably have a better feeling about this, right? And that's not to say that, you know, that would be a regression in their defense, but you understand what I'm saying. If you no, I do. saw a clear, right, a clear definition in their offense, a progression in their offense, say, okay, all right, like they're getting there. But you just, it, again, from an outsider's perspective, you don't feel much further ahead. And that to me is the thing where you have to at least bare minimum be frustrated. So that's just kind of my two cents on that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And that's, that's why Rice is, is going to be, it's going to be interesting. The, the AAC move is coming, you know, there's improvements coming to Rice stadium, everything. There's a lot of hubbub and everything going on. And, and right now Rice kind of the football team just kind of feels like caught in the lurch. So we'll see. Uh, what changes going forward? I don't. I don't know, but certainly this season is going to be marked down as a disappointment when it should have been. And there's a lot of expectation going forward because you know Rice fans, you know, fair or not, are looking at what's happening in San Antonio and say, why can't we do that? And there there are different challenges at Rice, but Jeff Trailer did step in and, and win right away. So that's kind of it's it's hard to to you know be okay with a slower build when you see that instant success popping up. I think that's part of it too. So. Who knows, man? We don't know anything. We we like to uh, play a guy who does on TV, right? Or something like that. Just prognosticating. That's all we're trying to do, right? We'll see. But I've already kept you. I, I said we were going to cut it short, and then we, we had to talk about Western and Rice. And I think we just, if we didn't talk about your team, sorry, I think we covered just about everybody. But uh, I, will, I, I will let you run. But before you do, please, please. Uh, let us know where we can we can follow you, and more importantly, what kind of stuff you got going on at, at Underdog Dynasty as the season wraps up. Because allegedly, we're getting toward the end of a complete college football season. All right, that's kind of foreign territory. It's been a while. First off, Matt, I want to say thanks for having me on. I do sincerely mean this when I say there are not many people that I would make the effort to go out there and you know, after a long college football weekend, hop on the horn here about ten forty nine Eastern time. So. Sincerely mean that. I I, uh, I love hopping on with you guys. But you can find my work at underdogdynasty.com. Find me on Twitter at EricCHenry underscore. What are we working on at UDD, right? We transition to bowl coverage. So whether that is the American, whether that's the Sun Belt, whether that's Conference USA, or keep an eye on some of our FCS coverage as well. Our, our guy, Jared Miller, got to give him a shout out. He's doing a great job covering the big sky out there and uh, that territory they got some fcs games and we're also trying to get to looks like florida a&m is going to qualify for the fcs uh playoffs so keep an eye on that as well but of course like i said uh bowl coverage and conference championship coverage we'll have our team across the border sunbelt conference championship conference usa conference championship and the american conference championship so keep an eye on those things and last but not least if you uh, you want to follow the hats as far as fiu and how things close out I'll have everything as far as the coaching search, the AD search, and what Bush Davis is wearing on the sidelines. I'll be looking for that book as soon as it gets written. A very strong coffee table book. Or maybe that would be like <laughs> one of the pamphlets that they do when, you know, you fly American, right? They, uh, uh, you <laughs> put that in the back of your seat. So, Yeah, well, we'll see. One way or another, I'm sure 
uh, it will be interesting. But uh, thank you again, Eric, for for giving us a, a good chunk of your evening. We always go a little bit long, but I think that's because we're having fun. And if anybody else is going to enjoy talking about Conference USA football for as long as they'll have us, it will be us. I guess you're sticking around. It's 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 not you, it's me. But uh, we'll we'll do this for as long as they let us, eh? Uh, thank you all for uh, everybody who tuned in to listen and for sticking with us this through. Uh, until next week, Rice Fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.